Work, for the night is coming. Maybe that doesn't have quite the same significance to us in 2020. Maybe it has more. But I'm thinking back to the age of farming, back to the age of candles, of lanterns. Uh, It wasn't that long ago that I was working on a project with Elizabeth's dad, and Elizabeth ended up out there. I was exhausted. I was ready to be done. We were trying to screen in the back porch, and there was these high panels, and so I was way up on a ladder and trying to push this thing into the track without, you know, mashing it through the screen, and and I was ready to be, I think it was about 9.30 at night, and we started at 6 that morning. I was done. That wasn't really an option going back not too many years. Because there was no lights to just flip on, there was no headlamps and and those types of things. If you wanted to get the work done, you started at sunup, and by sunset, you're done. Well, I'm going to keep going. Well, you, you just, you can't. You can't see. And when, depending on the job and the work that you're doing, if you can't see, how good can you do the job you're trying to accomplish? Not very well. And so we have this charge, work for the night is coming. In addition to Billy Graham, Jim Elliott was a well-known missionary to Ecuador who was also a student at Wheaton uh, College, same school Billy Graham went to. And in his student days, he developed a passion for overseas mission. Anybody here have a passion for overseas mission, love to travel? Yeah, you're kind of stuck at home right now, aren't you? Maybe you haven't found that Roku station of, uh, what's the one, the Maranatha station. We love watching Maranatha. We just want to go on another trip. Well, he had a real passion for overseas mission and particularly for reaching the unreached people groups on the planet. So his journey took him to Ecuador. Elizabeth Howard happened to go to Ecuador as well to minister to the Quechua Indians. The two were married in 1953 in Quito, Ecuador. Anybody been to Quito before? A few of you? It's a really neat place. But it was on January 8, 1956, that five missionaries to the Aqua Indians in Ecuador were speared to death. You've heard the story before. While attempting to contact the Harori tribe, Jim Elliott was only 28 years old at the time. Their only daughter, Valerie, was just 10 months old. And that tragedy became a defining moment in the history of evangelical missions. Hundreds of young people were inspired to take up missionary work. Thousands were moved to deeper commitment to Christ. And millions of dollars in resources were mobilized. And you can see here, scribbled, if maybe you can see, maybe you can't read it, but this is his own handwriting. And there in uh, red, underlined in red, in case you can't read it, he wrote here, this is Jim Elliott, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Did you catch that? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. What does that mean for us this morning? 
living on the knife edge of eternity in the middle of a pandemic, what does that mean for you and for me? Does that describe you this morning? Are you giving what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose? His wife seemed to follow that. As most of you know, amazingly, Elizabeth continued her work with the Quechua people. And two and a half years after the accident that took her husband's life, she went out to the jungles of Ecuador, now with her three-year-old daughter, to live among the Horoni tribe, the same tribe that killed her husband. And she stayed in Ecuador for the next five years, Was she foolish along with her husband? Or did she perhaps subscribe to the same idea? Jim actually wrote that down when he was 21 years old. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I can't help but think that that journal entry that Jim penned so many years ago, maybe had some kind of a root in this idea, work for the night is coming. When Jesus comes in the clouds of glory, so much of what we work for is going to be absolutely meaningless on that day. However, other things that we invest in Regardless of how crazy things get, they can't be taken. If you brought your Bibles, I hope you did. We're going to be looking at these first four verses of the book of John. John chapter 9. In my Bible, it's entitled, A Man Born Blind Receives Sight. And we're just going to read the first four verses. If you want to know that the man does or is healed, just keep reading. But beginning there, John chapter 9, verse 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Jesus is the one who notices this man. He's been blind since he was born. All he's ever known is darkness. And then verse 2. And his disciples asked him, Jesus saying, Rabbi. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, the Jews tended to, be, the Jews tended to believe that sickness was a scourge of God. It was a way of punishing those that didn't follow exactly as they should. And so these disciples are scratching their heads. They're trying to make sense of this, trying to figure it out. And so they ask a simple question that might seem silly to us, but it wasn't silly to them. You know, sometimes we think it's silly when you read this story, but how often do we apply in our own lives the same way of thinking? You get the report back from the doctor. And you say, what did I ever do to you, God? What are you punishing me for? Why did you allow this to happen? We can think that way too, can't we? 
Is that the way our God works? Does he bring pain and heartache in our life? Is he the author of pain and heartache? No, he's not. And verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So it's nice that we settle this idea that it's not because of the man's sin, it's not because of his parents' sin, it's neither one of those. But now it seems like we have a new dilemma. Now it sounds like God says, I'm going to cause this young child to be born blind so that all these years, I think it's some 38 years later, I'm going to come and heal him and it will be to my glory. That sounds a little disturbing too, doesn't it? 38 years of suffering? Well, if we break down the verbiage a little bit, it says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that. The word there in Greek for that, if you will, is a clause of result. And it's frequently used in translation to bring about because of this, then that. And so we could read it this way. But as a result of his suffering, the works of God will be revealed. Does that sound a little better? I like it better. And then verse 4, Jesus says this, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Jesus never hesitated. He never regretted. He never recalled a step. When duty arose with him, there was never a question. And so we have what we could call the divine obligation. I must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. In fact, we see this same divine obligation, if you will, in other parts, in other gospels. Here's one in Luke chapter 2, verse 49. I must be about my father's business. That was his divine obligation. Luke chapter 4, verse 43. I must proclaim the good news. Again, his divine obligation. I must suffer many things. Jesus' life was not about being comfortable. Doing what he wanted to do. He did not live for himself, nor was he trying to win a popularity contest. In fact, right before our passage in John 9 that we've been taking apart, right before that, the Jews are attempting to stone Jesus in the temple for things that he has said. But he slips away. I imagine that might shake you up a little bit. I imagine whether it was days or hours or however long before we get to this piece, this story in John chapter 9, even if it's weeks, he is probably a bit shaken yet again as they are out for his life. But it drives home further the point for Jesus. I must work while it is day. Because I know my time is coming and I'll be all done. My ability to work will be gone. 
Often Jesus was criticized, misunderstood, misquoted. Often his motives were mischaracterized. All the forces of hell were rallied against him. He was facing opposition on every side, especially the religious leaders. Yet he says again in Luke 13, 33, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following. He doesn't say, I have to just take a few days off here. He says, no, I must keep going. In other words, Jesus is saying, I cannot remain here. I must travel on. There are villages to be won, towns to be reached, cities to be conquered for the kingdom. This is his divine obligation. We could call it the divine must of Jesus. To go wherever his heavenly Father leads. But this morning I want to ask, as Seventh-day Adventists, have we somehow lost our divine obligation? Are we living the I must life? Or have we slipped into a I can't life? I must seek out my neighbors. I can't, COVID. I must take advantage of people's desire to make sense of current events. Did you know the Google search for second coming is higher than it's been for over a decade? Interest in Bible prophecy is the highest it's been in a generation. People are asking, what are the signs of the end? People in our community have questions. People in your neighborhood have questions. And what's our response? Can't. COVID. What happened to I must share the everlasting gospel of the three angels? This is the opportunity of our church that it was raised up for. But it's true. We can't have our big meetings. Well, people would be too scared to come. COVID. We can't have our Daniel fast, same reason, COVID. Food, demonstrations, COVID. Too many people in a tight space, COVID. Are we living the I must life or the I can't life? In living the I must life, we're always asking, what more, Lord? What more can I do for your cause? What additional plans do you have for my life? What horizons lay before me? What new initiatives do you want me to pursue? What new mountains are there to climb? Has God used circumstances of my past to prepare me for this present time? Did COVID catch God by surprise? Desire of Ages 73, throughout his life on earth, Jesus was an earnest and constant worker. He expected much, therefore he attempted much. Now, I don't want us to get this picture, if you will. There are times that Jesus drew away and said, come, let us rest for a while. There are times that they needed that Sabbath rest. And so I'm not trying to advocate that every waking minute, because the reality is, if that is how you approach ministry, you will burn out. 
But what I am saying is he expected much because he attempted much. If you haven't noticed, since COVID, things have shifted. We can't have concerts or socials or Christmas banquets, skate nights. All desiring opportunities to get to know our neighbors, to share the precious truth we have in Jesus, to invite them to something that's non-threatening, to get to know them, and so on. But COVID has changed all of that. How can we pack over 100 people in our fellowship hall for a meal, for a Bible study, for a seminar on whatever? But my question this morning is, has our divine obligation changed? I mean, is it just okay to replace the I must with, well, I can't? Or do we simply need to redirect our efforts? And notice this quote again. Throughout his life on earth, Jesus was an earnest and constant worker. He expected much. Therefore, he attempted much. Notice it doesn't say the church. It doesn't say big programs. It doesn't talk about big camp meetings and big camp meeting speakers. It doesn't say through large events. No, it's talking about one man living according to the divine obligation. Could it be that one of the things God wants his church to catch during this pandemic when everyone's so obsessed not to catch anything Could it be that God's desire for his church is to stop relying on the church? On programs, on events, and maybe transition from a corporate way of doing ministry to a more personal way of doing ministry. Christian Service, page 68. This is the book we're going to start going through in prayer meeting. Wonderful, practical uh, advice and little things that we can do and, and take part in. This is from page 68. The dissemination of the truth of God is not confined to a few ordained ministers. The truth is to be scattered by all who claim to be disciples of Christ. How many is all? All. That means there's not one person in here that can escape this quote. It's not just us. It's all slash (laughs) y'all. I mean, who's the church anyway? Y'all. All of us are to be disciples of Christ. And in so doing, all of us must answer this divine obligation of, I must, I must, I must. Another one, Christian Service, page 69. Let ministers teach church members that in order to grow in spirituality, they must carry the burden that the Lord has laid upon them, the burden of leading souls into the truth. Now, I can see your excuse already. Yeah, but it says, let ministers teach. As soon as they teach us, we'll go. Wrong. We have taught, 
and taught and taught and taught and taught and taught and taught. How many times have we done the Daniel fast and you all put it on? You've seen it before? You could have it in your own home. Yeah, but nope, you could do it. We had this contagious Adventist seminar. Well, that's interesting, and we're taking notes. Have we tried any of it? Well, I don't know enough yet. Wrong again. Anybody here ever play basketball? I'm too short to be much of a baller. That's my excuse anyway. But let's just suppose that I want to be a good basketball player. First thing I'm going to do, Monday morning, I'm going to go down to the library. Maybe I can even go tomorrow. I'm going to check out every book they have on basketball. I'm going to read up on all the theory of basketball, where it came from, what it was invented, what the ball is made out of, the official weights, the different sizes for different sporting events and arenas. How you dribble, what it means to double dribble, what does it mean to travel, and all of these other things. The ref's roll, and the, the, the free throw shot, and the three-pointer, and I'm going to know all of this. I'm going to map it all out. Elizabeth, come here. What is it? I know how to play basketball. I don't see a basketball. Shh! It's all right here. This is a full court press. Isn't that amazing? Uh, I mean, how long do I have to study in those books before I'll be a good basketball player? I mean, I can learn the terminology. Swish. I challenge one of you to bring me a basketball right now and let's see if I can go... Swish. There's another term that would be more likely. Brick. You ever heard that? That's where it bounces off the rim. Dang. Actually, that's probably being a little generous. It'd be more like air ball. That means the basket was over there and the ball went over there. So how am I going to learn to play basketball? Actually get one in my hands? Actually dribble? Actually play the game? Well, I don't, I don't know enough to get out on the court. Just go already! We have more resources as a church. Well, I just need resources. Really? How many resources do you need from how many different avenues, entities do you need them to be recreated? Well, I don't like this one. Fine. How about this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, or all of these? Well, I don't know enough. Yes, yes, you do. How long have you been in church? How many sermons have you heard? All right, I'll take a deep breath. Take a drink of water. Christian service, 117. There's a need of coming close to the people by personal effort. If less time were given to sermonizing, oh, don't hear any amens. Surprise. 
If less time were given to sermonizing and more time spent to personal ministry. What is personal ministry? It's exactly what the word means. Personal. It's largely one-on-one, maybe two-on-two or whatever it is. But it's personal. Greater results would be seen. Period. Sounds like y'all need to fire your preacher. Less sermonizing, more time in personal ministry. That speaks to me too. Less time preparing a sermon and more time in personal ministry would bring about greater results than what we see. In one of my districts I went to, small church out in the country, I got the directory. I think it had maybe... 75, 85 people in the directory. Sabbath morning, we had more like 20 that would come to church. And I thought, I'm just going to go start visiting people. And uh, maybe you've heard me say this before, but I'm knocking on doors, and I don't know whose door I'm knocking on. I don't know if they're active, inactive, I don't know. I talk to them about this collection that they have on the wall, or this cool tool in the garage, or, you know, it's not necessarily, I'm not trying to avert spiritual things, but I'm just trying to get to know them, introduce myself. Well, I'm the, the new Adventist pastor at the Cleveland Church, and, and they would just volunteer information. Well, I haven't been there for 10 years. Okay, sorry to hear that. What happened? Or I didn't even have to say what happened. You know what happened? Sounds like you're going to tell me. And they would tell me, and I would listen, and I would apologize, and that doesn't sound good, and well, I'm sorry for all that, but we'd still love to have you on Sabbath. Can I pray with you before I go? I didn't try and, you know, sometimes I'd listen for 30, 45 minutes. Then I'd go. The next Sabbath, guess who happens to be in church? I didn't break open the third angel's message. I didn't, you know, try and prove or or disprove anything from the Bible. I used personal ministry. I didn't preach them a sermon. A lot of times, this is all you need for personal ministry. For those listening, I'm, I'm holding and flapping my ears. And that happened over and over again, and people at church would be so surprised. It happened at least three or four times. People would start coming to church. We haven't seen them for ages. What brought you back? The Holy Spirit brought them back. Because they've been feeling guilty for the last eight and a half years that they don't go to church, but they don't have the mm to go. And then when somebody shows up, it's the Holy Spirit's way of mm, and they come. And you say, well, can't. COVID. Come on now. Pick a pretty day. Start out with a mask. They might say, oh, you don't have to wear one of those here. You might be eight feet apart in the yard the whole time anyway. If they want you to keep the mask, keep the mask on. So what? Get one with a big smile on it. Somebody gave me one at the door the other day, except it had a lot of lipstick, so I'm a little nervous to wear it. (laughs) But do something. We need to keep going here. 
the words of Jesus, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. Christ's Object Lessons 331. Many whom God has qualified to do excellent work accomplish very little because they attempt little. What if they reject me? If you don't go, they've rejected you already. Right? It's the same as a no. So they, but it might be a yes. Just go. So we have the divine obligation. I must do the works. The divine objective. What is the objective? Of him who sent me. That's the objective. The divine objective is to do God's will. It's the next part of this verse. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. John 20, verse 21 and 22. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is beautiful because God doesn't send us out alone. He says, I'm going to go with you. Oh, they weren't home. Well, maybe they weren't ready to receive you at that moment. Maybe it's the next visit that you need to make. Well, then why did I go this far? Maybe you needed to stall for 20 minutes so they could get home from the supermarket. I don't know. But there are divine appointments happening all over the place when we pray that the Lord will lead us. This idea that we are sent by God is the idea of a divine calling. The apostles were called by Christ to be sent out by Christ in mission. The Apostle Paul was divinely called to be divinely sent. He was ridiculed, rejected. He was beaten and stoned. He was shipwrecked and imprisoned. But he knew that he was called by God to be sent by God. And so let's just look at Paul's divine calling for divine objective. It says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle in Romans 1.1. We see in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Galatians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul an apostle not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That's where his authority comes from. Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And we can look at Colossians 1.1, 1, 1, the wording is identical. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And so again, Paul was sent by God to do the work of God in the power of God. So my question is simple. Is that calling simply limited to people like Paul? Is it limited to the twelve? Or is that the call to every member of the Seventh-day Adventist church? To every baptized member that is part of this church? movement. Sometimes I come across old timers. I've done it for so long, pastor, it's someone else's turn. I get that, but I don't necessarily respect it either. I'm at, you know, if you're talking about passing on the torch I want to give somebody else the opportunity, but if you're talking in terms of, I've put in my time, I've clocked out. I've checked out. Maybe you still can't do the things that you could do before, but you still can do something. 
pray and ask the Lord to show you what it is. God has not called us to be pew warmers or a live stream bystander, but to be actively involved in the divine obligation to fulfill the divine objective. COVID or no COVID, that has not changed. How we do it effectively has changed, but the obligation and the objective are the same. Isaiah 43.10, You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. Put your name in there. David, you're my witness. The servant whom I've chosen is you. David, you're my witness to Bridalwood Trail. Elizabeth, you're my witness to Bridalwood Trail. To Mills Point. That's the neighborhood we live in. I'm so proud of my wife, Elizabeth. One of the ways that we cope with the stresses of life, maybe you have some stresses in your life too, we like to exercise. That really helps us tremendously. And Elizabeth is so faithful about her exercise. And in one year of moving to this new neighborhood, she knows everybody on our side of the street virtually You know, some better than others, but she knows people by name. She can call out to them by name. She knows their pets by name. She knows situations. How is such and such doing? Hey, Jim, how's your surgery? How's your recovery going? Just yesterday, we're walking up the hill. I'm focused on the conversation. She's like, huh, that grass is a little bit tall. That's unlike them. Well, I don't know. Maybe they'll cut it over the weekend. If not, we're going to go check on them. It won't be the first contact either. Back in April when we delivered all these little pamphlets saying, because of COVID, if you're afraid to go out, let us know what you need. We'll go get your groceries for you and bring it to you. And we had a conversation with this guy, very nice individual. I'm assuming maybe they're just out of town, but we're going to check. The grass is too long. We have a favorite bakery that we like to get bread from once a month or so, and we get it all sliced. And uh, I had the idea, I don't know, a few weeks ago, a month or two ago, what if we just start ordering a few extra loaves of bread? I mean, they look like homemade loaves. That's why we get it there, because it tastes like homemade. I can recognize every ingredient on the, the list. We go there so much now, they don't even slap their thing on it. It's just in this clear plastic bag. I tell people, we got this from our favorite bakery, and we want to give it to you. $3.67 a loaf. So we got four extra loaves. Wow, aren't we generous. Total cost to our budget, $14.68. Kids, let's take these loaves to the neighbors. It's in and it's out. Here you go. We just were at our favorite bakery. We got some bread today. We wanted to share some with you. So interesting to see the responses. Some of them... Uh, what's the occasion? We're just happy to have you as neighbors. Gotta go. See ya. I think many people were quite stunned by it. Many people were just like, we've never had neighbors that brought us a loaf of bread ever. This is like, what, a Leave it to Beaver episode or something? People don't do this anymore. Why not? Matthew has a fun game of uh, we, we own a little section on the other side of the street. It's kind of a little nothing part of the yard, but anyway. And so Matthew mows the grass on that side, and sometimes he sneaks down, he mows the neighbor's side. 
And so sometimes a neighbor will come over and he'll sneak it up and mow our side. And it's like this little back and forth, back and forth. His name's Tony. Probably the funniest guy in the whole street. Loves to laugh. The people that live behind us, they own American Cable, Leslie and Scott. And when we redid our porch, instead of having all the slats, we wanted to have the cables. So I was asking a bunch of questions. And I said, well, were you working out on your, uh, you know, working on your porch there on Memorial Day? Yeah. I think we saw, I think we're neighbors. Are we? Yeah. Super nice. And when I went to get all the stuff, they said, we put in this and this and this and this. And we gave you a pastor discount and a neighbor discount. Oh, and here's some jam. Thanks for the bread, by the way. So I walk out with this box. I feel like it's Christmas. I was talking to Leslie just this last week. And one of the things she said to me was, I was talking about these other neighbors this way and that way and sharing different names. And since we're the new people on the block, I figured they might know. And she said, "Uh, actually, we've lived here six years, but you're the only neighbors in the neighborhood that we know. I said, wow. I don't know about you, but we like to know our neighbors. We feel safer when we know our neighbors. We feel more comfortable, more at ease, more at home. Our neighbors up the hill from us, Brian and Angie, he flies a helicopter for Mission Hospital, super nice. His biceps are the size of my thigh. I'm not kidding. He came down just this week to help troubleshoot a car issue that one of our friends had in the driveway. The car wouldn't start. He comes down. Nikki, our neighbor down the street, she has a furniture shop. She's given us some really nice pieces, a little rocking chair for James, some patio furniture. She's actually tuned in to our church services. In fact, Nikki, if you're watching, hello. She was watching when I preached a sermon about putting in the window, if any of you remember that. It faces her house. And she said, well, man, I don't ever remember you putting that in there. I pull in and out of this driveway every day, and you put in a new window. My goodness. Sorry, Nikki, you don't talk like that. (laughs) There's an older lady at the top of the hill. She comes to our Daniel Fast, or has come a few times before. I think she's Norwegian. And so Elizabeth and I are sitting on our porch. Finally have the screen up. Praise the Lord. No mosquitoes. It's a beautiful thing. And we're talking. We have some really cool neighbors. You know, you expect... I probably shouldn't admit this, but you expect a few duds along the way. (laughs) But we have some really cool neighbors, and they seem really nice, and they seem even interested in spiritual things. Why don't we just offer to come together on our porch or something once a week, once a month, and and let's just study what the Bible has to say? What do you want to study about? You want to do, you know end-time events or, or Bible prophecy or you just want to study one of the Gospels, whatever, we don't care. If it just brought them into the same circle where we could have an actual deep spiritual conversation, have some time of prayer, and let the Holy Spirit take it where he wants to take it. I mean, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't you do that? And we come up with all of these Sorry, we're not supposed to say stupid in our house. Stupid ideas of why we can't. Well, you know, we've been investing for so long and we don't want to offend them and then they might get upset at us. And da, da, da. Are you kidding me? You go up to somebody and you say, hey, we're thinking about having a Bible study at our house sometime in the evening for an hour or so and we were wondering if you wanted to come. 
Oh, you're the neighbor that brought me bread and cookies and all that other stuff, and now you're inviting me to a Bible study? Uh-uh, no, we're done. I don't want to talk to you anymore. I'm not going to wave when I drive by because you just showed care and concern for me, and I'm not a Bible believer, so we're done. Slam. Never going to happen. But in our mind, we think stupid stuff. Probably what's more likely, if they're not interested, is they'll say something like, you know what, we're not really church-going people, and that's not really our cup of tea, so I think we're going to pass. Okay, no sweat. But then they're thinking, and the Holy Spirit is still working. Why did you say no to that? You have so many questions. You stayed up late for the last five nights looking and searching for things on Google. They might have the answers. You know he's an Adventist pastor. Or a pastor. They probably don't care what. But he's a pastor. He might know. But we come up with these crazy reasons of why people will just shun us. Now, we're not there to just try and prove, you know, you go to this other church on the wrong day of the week. I'd love for you to come over on Sunday night, and I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. And while we're at it, there's about 28 other things that you're wrong about. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, and, lo, I'm with you. Always, even to the end of the age, even through COVID, we too are sent by God to do the work of God and the power of God. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. We're going to have to keep going. I'm getting behind here. And what's the church been raised up to do? To share the first, second, and third angels' messages of Revelation 14. That's our job. We're obligated. We're not just another denomination. And rightly understood, our message speaks to the fundamental moral and spiritual issues of the 21st century. They provide answers for some of the most burning issues of this generation. In fact, in a few weeks, I'm going to be unpacking the three angels' messages specifically. And in that sermon, we'll see that the three angels' message is not an antiquated relic, but an urgent, eternal, and universal message. And at the heart and the center of the, the message, the core of the three angels' message, is justification by faith, God's abounding grace, and full surrender to His will. It's a call to make God the center of our lives, to worship the Creator, not the creature. And to be able to identify and come out of religious confusion and false teachings that are all around us. How many don't agree today that there's confusion? How many today don't even trust the news anymore because they're just constantly saying opposite things? What is the truth? They're open. It's a call to place God's teachings over man's teachings. And in so doing, to have hope that springs eternal, even in the midst of a pandemic. 
to have divine purpose, a calling to understand that this world is not our home. And soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Friends, we have a rich and beautiful message. And when God gives us a task, he gives us the ability to accomplish that task. All of God's biddings are his enablings. Everything he asks us to do, he empowers us to do. So whatever excuse you can pop up in your mind, God has a way through the power of his Holy Spirit to go right around it. Give a Bible study. Well, I don't know how to give a Bible study. Friends, do you know how to read? I mean, sorry, we're going to take the time to do this. I talked about resources. We have so many resources. We have glow tracks. We have magazines, signs of the times, a divine design, talking about the sanctuary message, amazing prophecy, amazing health facts. Find one that will fit your neighbor. Give them a glow track. And if you're not sure which one, just a gift for you. Who doesn't like a gift? And then slip in mybiblestudyoffer.com. They can go connect to a Bible study. But even better yet, maybe you could be the Bible study. Here's another one. Your story hour. Do you have kids on your street? They'd love it. They're still out here. Donnie says he gets discouraged when the literature rack that we're supposed to take and share from, nothing's been taken on any given Sabbath, so he doesn't have to restock anything. Come on now. I can't give a Bible study. Number one. That comes first. What does the Bible claim about itself? Then it has four scriptural verses here, and in case you missed it in the verse, it has the answer that the Bible verses we're just talking about. Question two. Do you want to give the person the ability to give a Bible study? Dependence on God, allowing the Holy Spirit to direct, and being able to read. Those three. Just read the question. You know, people think this is a terrible Bible study. It's probably better than most Bible studies. What does the Bible claim about itself? You read all the verses, ask them to read the verses. So what do you think? Well, it sounds like... The problem is that we think that we need to have a sermon for each question. And they don't have to think about anything. Well, what if it's quiet? They're thinking of an answer. Give them a minute. Question two. Question three. Did you learn anything about this study today? Yeah. I never knew that was in my Bible. Pretty cool, isn't it? Would you like to study again next week? I would. Same time? Okay. It's not hard. Let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting. Mark Finley tells a story of a man who, uh, I don't remember why he got so well known, but he, I think, was attributed to over 100 baptisms, maybe it was over 1,000 baptisms, it was a lot. And they were at some gathering, and he called this brother up, he says, brother, what's your secret? You're so successful in this area, tell me what you do. And he says, it's really easy, I do this. What is that? He says, I take a DVD of you, I put it in my player, and I hit play. 
And then we sit there and we watch it together. He says, that's all I do. I got another one for next week. You want to come back next week? You don't even have to have a DVD. You know how many resources are on YouTube? All kinds of wonderful avenues resources on YouTube. Even Pastor Hyman. Verse, chapter and verse of everything throughout Daniel, throughout Revelation, all there on YouTube. You want to come back tomorrow and take on chapter 2? Yeah, I do. This is really interesting. Nedley resources, health resources, prophecy resources. You name it, it's there. And God often leads us to situations that are much larger than our abilities for two reasons. To teach us dependence totally upon Him and to grow us. If you want to grow spiritually... Get involved in personal ministry. I like this little line here. If your abilities are sufficient for the task, the task is too small. Let God fuel your dreams and lead you to new bold adventures for the glory of his name. Too often we get stuck in a rut. The urgent responsibilities narrow our focus They crowd out spiritual things and spiritual realities, cosmic realities, but I believe God longs to stretch us, grow us, enlarge us, and use us in a greater way. God didn't bring you to this church to maintain the status quo, to simply keep the lights on. He calls you to a larger vision, a bigger obligation to spread our end-time message. We can no longer travel around the world, but we can travel across the street. Some like to explore new cultures. Perhaps it's time to, be, to bring compassion to those living in a culture of fear, anxiety, and unrest. There's the divine obligation, the divine objective, and all around us are divine opportunities. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. I'm really past time here. What did Jesus mean? Well, if you take this timeline apart, it's a Feast of Tabernacles. From the Feast of Tabernacles to Passover, the next spring was about six months. Jesus had six months left. He had ministered for three years. He had six months left. And he felt the weight of the time. And in just six months, Jesus would pray, I've glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Are we at that point? Can we just jump off the train and say, you know what? I'm done. COVID. No, I think there's still work to do. Time is running out for Jesus. He is... He had to take advantage of every situation, every moment, and we need to do the same. A second reality, I think, of why Jesus said this in John chapter 9... In a real sense, time is running out for every one of us. And the reality is we can never go back and live over a single day. James 4.14, You do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Friends, time is short. And the work to be done is so great. Do you remember this during COVID, all the free stuff? Maybe people are still offering it. I don't know. I didn't pay close enough attention. 
free entertainment to help you survive coronavirus and social distancing. Amazon, Apple, all kinds of other people making things available. And I saw that and I thought, is this not the devil saying, during your wake-up call, here's something, just hit the snooze button with. Satan is now seeking to hold God's people in a state of inactivity to keep them from active, uh, acting their part in spreading the truth that they may at last be weighed in the balances and found how? Wanting. Again, Christian Service 37. This is from Christ Object Lessons 342. The value of time is beyond computation. Christ regard every moment as precious and it is thus that we should regard it. Life is too short to be trifled away. Yet if you look on Facebook, it just seems an awful lot like it's being trifled away. But we have a few days of probation in which to prepare for eternity. And the third reason I think Jesus makes this point in John 9 is that we're living in the judgment. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. Folks, we're living in the judgment hour. But with Jesus by our side, we have nothing to fear. But without him, we have everything to fear. And your neighbor's going to come up to to you and say, you knew and you didn't tell me. Well, I wasn't here long term. It was just a a year lease, and then I was gone. You know how much the Holy Spirit can do in a year? In light of the judgment going on in the holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, men and women are making eternal decisions for or against God. Christ. Yet we think, let's just throw on another movie, pass the time, until everything goes back to normal. But I think the times demand something more of us. We're under a divine obligation to accomplish a divine objective with divine opportunities. I'm almost done. The truth must not be muffled now. Plain statements must be made. Unvarnished truth must be spoken in leaflets and pamphlets, and these must be scattered like the leaves of autumn. I love that picture. In visions of the night, representations passed before me of great reformatory movement among God's people. Hundreds and thousands were seen visiting families and opening before them the word of God. Reformatory movement... Hundreds of thousands of people, door to door, opening the word of God. Is this not Bible study? Hearts were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. And a spirit of genuine conversion was manifest on every side. Doors were thrown open to the proclamation of the truth. Testimonies, volume 9, 126. I think of this verse in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And the prayer says, and Lord, begin with me. The Lord desires that his word of grace shall be brought home to every soul. To a great degree, this must be accomplished by personal labor. This was Christ's method. Luke 17, 33, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. COVID, 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 stockpile, store up, make provisions, grab more toilet paper. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. 
professed followers, and this, is, this one's going to hurt, the professed followers of Christ, you and I, are on trial before the heavenly universe. But the coldness of my zeal and the feebleness of my efforts in God's service mark me as unfaithful. It doesn't say me, but I'm just personalizing it here. If what they are doing were the best they could do, condemnation would not rest upon them. But were their hearts enlisted in the work, they would do much more. They know, and the world knows, that they have to a great degree lost the spirit of self-denial and cross-bearing. Many there are against whose names will be found written in the books of heaven, not producers, but consumers. Have mercy. When's the church going to reopen? When's the church going to be back to this and back to that? This is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. In our series on Paul, we learned this was the last book that we think Paul wrote to his dearest associate, Timothy. And there in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, And the things that you have learned from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what you have is you have Christ giving it to Paul. You have Paul giving it to Timothy. Timothy being asked to give it to faithful men. And the faithful men asked to give it to others. Friends, there are no consumers in this verse because they're all producers. They're all responsible to share. They all have the divine obligation. One soul, one to the truth, will be instrumental in winning others and there will be an ever-increasing result of blessing and salvation because everybody is doing something for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, these times we're living in are unprecedented, filled with virus, pandemic, global shutdown, having to say last goodbyes through the windows. Limited travel, feeling separated from the rest of the world, peaceful protest. Did you know that they're saying that the George Floyd protests are three to five, three to five times larger than any protest in U.S. history? And it's still ongoing. Over a hundred days of protest now. I think like 110 or something. Then you have the not so peaceful protest. Folks, our world is filled with uncertainty and anger and violence and protests and looting. But in these times of fear and chaos, insecurity, worry, not knowing what to think about the future, is it any wonder people are turning to God for answers? And you are the one perfectly positioned. I think it was just last Sabbath, somebody said, you know, Pastor, I have a friend. They started telling me all these details about this friend, and they haven't been to church in a long time, and this and that, and they're worried. They started asking spiritual questions, and so we started answering them, and I got their number. I was going to give them your number so you can study the Bible with them. And then they said to themselves, they, they kept talking. And then I thought to myself, you know what? This person knows me. This person knows my friends. There's no reason we can't stay the Bible with them. You might intimidate them. So we went and stayed the Bible with them. I said, praise the Lord. You're that connection to somebody. We have resources galore. There's tables on your way out. There's a literature uh, cart on your way out. Take them with you. Pray about how to use them. Make a plan but decide to do something for the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. To study the Bible with friends, with neighbors, with co-workers. To allow the Holy Spirit to do something that he longs to do. And while we do this, what if we even reinvent prayer meeting too? As opposed to being 12 people and 13 people there? What if everybody just decided to come? I mean, this is a social event, just like the Daniel Fast or something else. Everybody's there. Maybe we have to come up here to social distance. I don't know. And we spend some time with a roving mic. What did you try this week? You know, I heard Pastor Wright preach, and I thought he had some pretty crazy ideas. But then I did this, and the Holy Spirit did that. And I was so excited, I couldn't stop talking about the rest of the day. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And it could be a pep rally of sorts. Wow, that's amazing. I have a story. I have a story. Let's pray about this. This person, I can tell the devil's just wanting to hang on to them so bad. Let's pray pray for them by name. And so before it's all done, we have this testimony time, this praise time. We write down prayer requests. We pray for them by name. We read Christian service. We get new insights. And then we go back out into our mission field. Who's going to organize it? What time does it start? You're not getting it. What time are you going to start? When are you going to organize it? I heard Gary say in this Sabbath school class, there's no wrong or or one way to to witness. There isn't. The Holy Spirit's going to use you and your gifts. I need to stop talking. Esther, come up here for a second. Esther did that in a prayer meeting not too long ago. Esther is just excited. Um... She loves the Lord. She loves sharing the Lord. She loves to love on people. I'm going to step over here. But tell us a little bit about what the Lord's been, been doing through your experience. Well, the pastor just about said everything. Um, but um, right before this COVID thing happened, I was having this sense of urgency that my life was meaningless. Going to work, coming home, and as Carol and Judy knows, that my whole week is spent on getting ready for the next day. And that was it. And I felt like God had blessed me with so many things that I wanted to do more for him. And sitting here, I know the pews are empty because of COVID, but I think they're empty also because they're people that are lost. My, my children are out there. My friends are out there. My neighbors are out there. And I'm sitting here so comfortable. Be it all with a mask and everything, I'm still comfortable. But I'm not any longer because I'm... God has given me the sense of urgency that there's very little time, very little time. And when I got sent home from work because of COVID, I got to know a lot of my neighbors. So um, as many of you know, I love to bake. So I started baking breads, all different kinds. And I would take the bread, wrap them plastic, of course, put it in, in one of these, put a ribbon on it, and pass it out to just about all of my neighbors. And others have come back, and they've asked I had a friend that called me. I, she used to be an old supervisor. My, actually, it's been more than 20 years ago. And she called me, and I thank God I never changed my number. I almost did at one point. And she says, Esther, do you remember my son, Adam? He has cancer. Please pray for him. I remember you being a woman of prayer. And three days before that, I said, God, I'm tired of living this meaningless life. I want to do more while there is time to work because I feel that time is so short. And I, I said, Lord, I don't know how to do a Bible study. Duh. But I know how to read. 
I said, but the church has so much resources. If nothing else, I could take one of those resources and I could hand it out and say, read this, we'll get back together and we'll talk about it. I could do that much. I said, but Lord, please send me the people who are yearning to know. Three days later, I get a call from an old supervisor more than 20 years ago asking me to pray for her son. And then she said, Esther, you know more about the Bible than I do. Would you give me a Bible study? And I almost felt, oh, 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 yeah, sure. <laughs> yes. When do you want to start? Thursday. I'll be there. And I started on the amazing facts. And today we're on 12, lesson 12. Her husband is extremely interested, and he wants to come to our church. They've been here once already. And he says he feels this is the church to be. And uh, she's, she has a questions about, please pray for her. She has questions, and I know the devil won't let go easy. But, you know, and I have a gentleman that I talked to on the phone in Florida. And Heather, by the way, you texted me today and told me you were going to be listening today, watching today. So, Heather, we love you, and we pray for the day that you'll be sitting down here with us in person. So thank you, Pastor. And like you said, this church, I love this church. We have so many resources. Just hand them out. Like the pastor said, hand them out. And let the Holy Spirit convict, because it's not you that convicts. It's us who hands out and the Holy Spirit convicts. And yes, you know, we've sat through the Daniel Fest. We've sat through the Revelation seminars. We've sat through all of these. And I'll sit here and I'll make little notes and stuff in it, and then we'll go over it. And the Lord has blessed. And the thing is, I didn't know how to dribble that basketball before, but now I'm shooting hoops from the outfield. Not because I'm any smarter than anybody else, I'm not, but because I'm practicing now and I'm getting excited to see how excited the people I'm talking to are. And not only that, God saved me from a world of spiritual darkness and ignorance and pain and hopelessness. And I sit here and I want other people sitting here too. I want them to know you don't have to live in fear. And, I don't, and yes, we have to be cautious, but you know what? If I die of COVID because I gave a Bible study, that's the way I want to go. So thank you, and God bless you all. And I know we are a church of missionaries, and we got great leaders, too. Thank you. All right. I've been promising for too long I'll be done, but I hope you caught it. I hope the Holy Spirit has been working on your heart about what it is that you could do. Because the reality is I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. The time is now. The future is now. The prophecies are fulfilling now. The shift from a corporate model to an individual personal model is now. The mission is clear The divine mandate echoes in our ears. I must work the works of him who sent me. The only question is, will we rise to our destiny and fulfill the words of Christ? That is my prayer, not just for you, but for Elizabeth and I and our family, our neighborhood. Will we live up to the destiny that God has placed us there for. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you will show us very clearly 
what it is you would have us to do, where you would have us to start. I imagine it could be simply be a prayer like Esther's prayer was, followed by a divine appointment, a phone call, somebody inquiring, will you study with me? Will you pray with me, for me? Whatever it might be, but Lord, we want to accomplish much because we attempt much. We want to go out fearlessly because of the mandate that you have given to us, the obligation that is ours to go forward, to follow the will of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to look for those divine appointments. Help us to that end according to your will, we pray in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.